When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The biggest breaking news stories and outspoken opinion. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley Brewer on Talk Radio. Good morning to you. This is Talk Radio Breakfast with me, Julia Hartley Brewer. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I'm not going to lie. I just want to talk about the tanker in the Suez Canal. If you've not seen the pictures, uh, I've tweeted some of the some of them out this morning. I, I genuinely, it's it's quite the most extraordinary thing. This tanker is, I mean, it's basically the size of a of a football field. Uh, it's the size of a sort of small town, and uh, and and it's blocking the entire canal. Um, and I'm having a lot of visions of me in the supermarket car park, and uh, it's all it's all it's all coming back to me. But uh, uh, do take a look if you have a look at my Twitter feed at Julia HB One. Uh, and uh, you can see just how big this thing is and uh, how much it is blocking the way. We will talk about that, no doubt, uh, when we get to some lighter topics later in the show. But uh, first up, lots to talk about in relation, of course, to COVID. Imagine everyone's surprised more than a year on after the first time we went into lockdown. Lots of people this time last year waking up uh, to uh, the first full day of lockdown. Uh, I was already in lockdown about a week earlier, already ill with COVID. So it didn't really make much difference to me at that point. Uh, but since then, of course, we have seen an absolute devastating devastating impact of COVID. I have to say, I don't know about anyone else, I could barely watch any other mainstream broadcast news yesterday. I find it so intolerable, uh, the mawkishness. And, uh, and also this, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, the minute silence at midday and the eight o'clock candle lighting. Uh, well, wasn't happening around my way. That's all I can say. Well, joining me for the chat today to talk about all things going forward is Emma Revel. She's Head of Public Affairs at the Institute of Economic Affairs, the Free Market Think Tank. Good morning to you, Emma. Morning, Julia. Morning, lovely to talk to you. Um, um, just just looking back briefly because I, I'm I'm not into the mawkishness that a lot of the media is into. Um, uh, did you did you mark the minute silence at twelve o'clock yesterday? And, and did you and or did you light a candle at eight o'clock? No, I didn't. I was aware of the twelve o'clock because I'd been listening to the radio in the morning and people had mentioned it. But as it turns out, I was uh, the time entirely passed me by. It was one o'clock before I'd even realised, and I wasn't even aware of the eight p.m. Mm candle lighting I, I think i found out about it this morning so i'm not surprised that lots of people uh, didn't a lot do of people it. didn't, didn't well, it's mark it, it didn't it's, cut through it's always a giveaway because the sort of people who like to sort of signal their virtue in these ways um because if you know caring about people who, who've died in a way that is visible to other people is 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 the way you show virtue uh these days you you, know, you can't just you can't just care about people who, who, who are dead or alive just 24 7 um and, you know and, and hope to improve people's lives that's not good enough you have to send a tweet about it um but uh, but those people were remarkably quiet. And it was interesting in the TV news um, is when they showed footage. It was all organised footage. It was organised footage of people standing outside hospitals, of, of staff standing in Paddington Station in London, while, frankly, everyone else was just walking around, uh, going about their daily business. And this whole idea that the papers are reporting, you know, uh, the nation.
Christians stand still, bells toll. And they're like, um, I just don't think that was really where most of the public were yesterday, was it? No, I don't think so. I think times of national remembrance can have uh, enormous impact when the nation comes together to recognise a, a particular time. I don't think yesterday had the cut through that, you know, the organisers of the 8pm <clears throat> candle lighting standing outside really thought it was going to have. I think mainly because we're still we're still in it. You know, yesterday didn't necessarily feel any different. Yes, it was a year on. Yes, that feels like an awfully long time. And it's been an awfully long time. Mm -hmm. But it's not something we're past and looking back on. Yeah. You know, we're, we're still in it. Yeah, so. uh, that, that's that's the thing. And again, that's the, what the argument that Boris Johnson gave, uh, asked about a public inquiry. I was absolutely fascinated, actually, with the questions last night. It was so much focused on, you know, oh, looking back and, you know, mere culpas and things as opposed to, hey, you know how we've got like really, really, really low deaths and we've now got below uh, below average deaths right now. We're not in excess death territory at all. We've got fewer people dying right now than would normally die at this time of year. Um, uh, and, and yet here we are still in lockdown. And we've got a vaccination programme that's been an remitting success. And yet here we are still in lockdown. I still find it extraordinary that these journalists don't ask this. And the only reason I can think about that is, one, I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm sorry, you know, people aren't on the payroll for that. But uh, it does seem to be, uh, you know, selling those papers and uh, and, and, and uh, getting uh, uh, viewers of those TV programmes. But also, uh, crucially, um, we've got an awful lot of journalists who, who live in nice homes, uh, who've been able to work all year. And you actually, a lot of them outside of their homes, uh, they're actually able to go to work. And I think they just so they simply do not feel the impact of lockdown. They just have not felt it. And so they don't understand. Um, let's talk about um, more of the impact of, of uh, the COVID vaccine rollout, though. Ongoing issues with the EU in terms of the doubling down on the prospect of a, a COVID export ban. Uh, now we're being talk, talking about the idea that in any country that basically has got a higher vaccination rate than the EU, so, you know, Pretty much, pretty much everywhere, <laughs> other than America, Israel, Bahrain, America, and Britain. Um, uh, they, they, they basically they'll withhold exports. So it's not an attack on Britain. They'll withhold exports to any of those countries if they've got a higher vaccination rate than the EU. Um, does this not typify the attitude of the EU, which is, if we do things really badly here in the EU and other countries do it really well, we're going to do what we can to hold you back and punish you for doing well, as opposed to think. What did we do wrong? How can we do it better? And let's try and copy what they did. I mean, it is extraordinary, this idea that holding everybody else back is the solution to the problems the EU has created for itself. It's very much how dare you use the success of businesses based in the EU for your own benefit. It's like, well, <laughs> if if you weren't able to do that, I'm really sorry, but that's not actually my problem. Yeah. The fact that you weren't able to utilise these businesses that are based in your countries then that you know you you can't hold other but, countries but hold on a minute emma leaving the eu was a disaster remember that because we wouldn't have the clout of working with the eu which is why germany france italy all these other big sensible countries that started those negotiations for their uh, uh, their vaccines having learned the lessons from the ppe debacle when everyone was competing with everyone else shutting their borders not exporting any ppe trying to get everything they could from china individually um they thought ah just like we did we better make sure we've got our vaccine just for ourselves. Um, uh, they, they did learn those lessons and then decided, no, no, for the good of the EU, because the EU matters more than their own citizens, they would do this sort of uh, across the board, uh, a whole you know, continent-wide uh, procurement because, hey, they'd have all the clout of being a whole continent. Trouble is, um, all the companies went, uh, this is the price of the vaccine. And with AstraZeneca, small point worth making, it's sold at cost price. They weren't <laughs> going to get it any cheaper. 
Yes, in theory, the collective bargaining power of 27 countries purchasing something together means you, you should be able to get it cheaper. But actually, when you're selling it at cost, that doesn't that doesn't yeah. play into the equation. And the EU was frankly too slow off the mark when it came to purchasing vaccines. And, and they didn't look wide enough for all of the different vaccines that were you know, being tested and hopefully coming on stream. And it turns out they, they have all come on stream. And the fact that the UK you know, was quite broad in its outlook, it didn't just go, OK, well, we're going to look at just AstraZeneca. It looked at all of the different vaccines that were um, were being tested and purchased, fr- frankly, from everyone going. We went, yeah. we went a little bit mad and we're going to end up with more well, no, it was hun- It was hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds which was spent on, on a pump. But given that we were spending, I mean, right now we're getting into debt to the tune of one billion pounds more a day just just from being in lockdown. So, I mean, that was money well spent. I mean, that was just basically, you know, a, a sort of a 10 quid insurance policy compared with what we're spending right now on the cost of a two grand holiday. Absolutely the right decision, you know, that the UK made to say, you know, we, we don't know which of these vaccines is going to come on stream first. We don't know what the results are going to be. So we're going to we're going to hedge our bets and and make deals with with everyone going, basically. And that's that's you know been incredibly successful for the UK and means we're going to end up probably with more vaccines than we actually need. And we'll be able to hopefully give those to countries who haven't been able to get their own yeah. vaccine programs on stream. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, and, they, and, and they will be possible. And again, we are at a small point. We, you know, The COVAX plan or international plan to uh, to give vaccines to the, the poorer countries that couldn't afford them. Um, we have we are the biggest single contributor of that financially. And we have contributed more than the whole of the EU put together. And by the way, it was the Oxford University uh, uh, you know, scientists who actually managed to put together uh, the vaccine that is the one that is going to be the one that's the game changer, AstraZeneca, which is is the fact that it could be distributed incredibly easily and incredibly cheaply compared to the others. So, uh, um, I, yeah, I think we've done our bit here in Britain. I really do. Um, let's talk, though, about the vaccine and its rollout, because uh, I'm, 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 I'm still having a, a reaction to my vaccine I had on Friday. Uh, it doesn't mean I would not necessarily have got it again, but I mean, I'm having a, a quite severe allergic reaction uh, to it now. Um, um, I mean, not enough to not enough to sort of make me feel ill off work, but but certainly it's the most unpleasant pleasant vaccine I've had. I don't think that should put people off who are at risk of getting seriously ill from COVID from having the vaccine. It's sort of a, a I suppose a cost of doing business. Um, but um, there is now a plan for children to get vaccinated. This is where I draw the line. I, I am as pro-vax as you can possibly be. And my daughter, you know, I didn't even want to discuss with the doctor about MMR. Of course she's having MMR. These are life-saving vaccinations. People who are anti-vax, I'm sorry, you're idiots. It's not a matter of opinion. You're idiots. Vaccinations save lives. End of story. People can have their debate over the vaccine for this va- this this particular um, uh, 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 disease. But, but vac- vaccinations are a wonderful and brilliant thing. They're the reason why most human beings are alive right now. But at the front of the Telegraph today, children in line for COVID jabs from August. They're going to start receiving their vaccine as early as August under provisional government plans to push for maximum immunity from the virus. A safety data on the critical child vaccine study being run currently by Oxford University is expected shortly, which will inform... Uh, what ministers decide. Children, this is a bit I can't understand. Uh, they're doing this test right now on children uh, between the ages of six and 16. Um, I find this extraordinary that somebody would put their... I mean, it's one thing to put yourself forward for a vaccine study. I mean, and I all hail to those people, and we have two people who are regulars on the show who do that. To put your six-year-old child forward. Um, we know in America they are testing some of the vaccines on newborn babies. Um, I'm sorry, but would you do that? Yes. 
Because really? you don't know if va- you don't know if a vaccine works unless you test it on the people you're going to give it to. And you, so, but would you, if you had a newborn baby, would you give them a, a, a vaccine that hadn't been tested on newborn babies? Because I'm sorry, not a chance in the world. Well, I mean, does that make me a bad person that's not doing things for the good of man? I mean, it seems to me look, this is a this is a this is a, a disease that does not hurt children pretty much. A t- I mean, a literally a handful of children have died of this disease uh, who have not had underlying health conditions that, uh, that that would make them very vulnerable to pretty much any uh, a virus at, the, at, at this time. I, I, the idea that children should be vaccinated with the you know to, with a jab when, when they're not at risk of this particular disease, I find very troubling. Well, it's not about them being at risk. It's about reducing the prevalence of COVID in society as a whole so that people who are at risk don't get it. We can have a debate about whether or not you think children need to be vaccinated and whether it's under six-year-olds, under 10-year-olds, whatever. But when it comes to it, if you want to look at vaccine efficacy in children, you need to test it on children. So I I don't necessarily have an issue with that. Should there be, I mean, should we have a push for vaccinating children the same way we're vaccinating adults? I mean, they are, you know, basically, you know, a a large part of the population. We're talking about 10 million uh, children in the population. But again, if all the adults, pretty much all the adults are vaccinated, I mean, and and the the, elderly people, I mean, have got an extraordinary level of vaccination cover. Even if there are children who aren't vaccinated, or even at 18, they start getting vaccinated or 16, whatever it is, um, we would still have the sort of herd immunity we've been looking for. You don't need everyone in a population to be vaccinated to have herd immunity you wouldn't but you would probably need to speak to um an immunologist about what the impact would be if you had a large percentage of the population who aren't vaccinated does that mean a higher risk of mutation for example i don't know i'm not an expert you'd need to speak to one about that but i think if if it turns out that that is the case then it is worth exploring if they come back and go actually no we you know if we vaccinate everyone over the age of 16 we're good to go then no i don't think it's needed but i think until we have answers to that question it's worth exploring the possibility there's no point in waiting till it turns out actually everyone under 16 who isn't vaccinated is at risk of a new mutation and then starting to study it i think it's worth starting yeah. to study it now still... and if it turns out we don't need it then that's the better place to be i still think everyone needs to stop getting obsessed with the new mutations i mean it's just, it's just no different to, to flu changing every year you just you, you adapt to your jab um it, it, i really think everyone needs to sort of calm down on that front i think it's the word mutation might be the problem we've watched too many hollywood movies emma revel loads more to talk about it including uh, illegal migrants being denied the right to remain under pretty Patel. Uh, bid to uh, stop all those uh, asylum seekers, illegal migrants over the channel uh, and uh, foreign holidays. Are we ever going to get them again? That's up next. This is Talk Radio. The Breakfast Briefing with Julia Hartley-Brewer on Talk Radio. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.